Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Recorded live. Hello, everyone. This is History Call, POTQ Level 1, Summer of 2015. And we have Brian, Dawn, and Lisa on the call with us right now. And we've just been chatting. We have Brian's homework, so we'll probably pick on him the most because we actually have that in front of us. And he wrote down, had a whole bunch of... uh, concepts that he captured from the talk um that were that were very interesting gave a lot of a, a good summary of of things the the homework itself was what five ideas concepts really spoke to you and then write a brief statement describing why each of these concepts make an impression for you and then do you have any questions that need follow up um He, Brian went past the five concepts and <laughs> Sorry. gave us 15 concepts, but that's cool. So um, I'm assuming that these were ones that, that spoke to you, though, or that because you kind of summarized a lot of what the homework was about. So these were concepts that kind of uh, hit hit your radar. Yeah, I think they were things that I, I – tried to kind of capture uh, various thoughts that, that developed during the – it wasn't written written the best, but I was, some of it's a little bit shorthand. But I was trying to uh, capture going through the podcast what I thought were some of the, the major points. I probably didn't get everything, but I, I got a good number of them, I think. I don't know. Oh, yeah, you did get a good number of them. Um, yeah, because I don't know what I ended up with. I've got five pages longhand, well, shorthand, note-taking style, shorthand. So I'm sure if I typed it out, it wouldn't be that much. So you did, you got a lot of them. Was there any of those that really kind of stuck out for you? Well, I I guess the one thing sort of taken uh, overall is kind of the, you know, what's the, is there a, sort of a current day equivalent uh, to what they were discussing in the historical context. It, it seems like there, historically, that there were sort of different uh, levels of, of prostitutes, if you will, and now there's really only one level of prostitutes. So it, it's that's a thing that I just spent a few minutes trying to wrap my head around, I think. Okay. There are... There are sacred whores today who um, do this for religious reasons, not just in North America, but in Europe um, and still in India. I don't know about Mexico as much. I know about Canada and uh, some in the United States. And then, like I said, 
quite a few in Europe. Um, they don't do it legally. I no, they fly under the covers. They 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 fly under the radar. The radar, yes. They um, but we'll have a whole class on contemporary Kadishtu, and you'll actually there'll be some podcasts and some writings from some of the actual Kadishtu from today and some of the stuff that they do. Some of them are very much sacred courtesans, and other ones are do a little bit of that and then do teaching and or writing uh, to, and or have another job to supplement their income. Or, or some of them, um, they've moved to something a little bit more legitimate. They've gotten degrees in uh, psychology, and they do marriage counseling uh, of sort. Um, you can find uh, here in the United States, there are at least three events that we know of um, where you could find someone that considers them a, a sacred horror and they're, they're putting on an event or they're at a much larger event and they'll have uh, a Kadishtu uh, tent set up where they will take on uh, all comers. Uh, we have um, some friends uh, that have done a, um, a tent of Aphrodite. That, that would be another reference. Uh, you can find them uh, in and around the pagan slash sacred sexuality slash kink community or um, where there is that overlap at an event. Um, Canada has something they call Kadoshka, uh, which there's some interesting controversy around it, but you, uh, they have uh, an extended training program uh, that you can go through there. There's also sexological body work in Vancouver that you can go over this. Um, in Canada, it's going to be a little bit easier to do than here. Um, I think the laws are a little bit more lenient. There are two temples that we know of um, that were in and around Nevada uh, that ha were a little bit more out in the open in terms of what they were doing. Utah. Uh, in, was it Utah? Well, they move around. But that's okay. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, there, there are people that take this very seriously, and uh, but they tend to fly under the covers depending on what the laws of the country are at. Um, we have some dear friends that do things, but it's very, very private, um, and they don't go and advertise it, and we know they, and we know they don't charge any money for it. Um, our part of it, in terms of what we do, is basically. Um, the educational aspect of it. Right. I, I guess a, a related note that kind of hit me with this whole thing was, and I guess I knew this somewhere in the back of my head, but it was interesting to be kind of reminded and, and listen and read a little bit more about it was sort of a, the tremendous shift from sort of historical matriarchal societies that had such a, a greater focus on on nature and energy and natural processes, and then the shift over to sort of modern-day patriarchal societies. And I, I, I think there's kind of a. It seems like there's there's a there's a relationship here with the issue of the 
sort of the sacred horrors sort of coming and going with that shift of from matriarch to patriarch too. So I, I it's all, it seems like it's all kind of tied together a bit. And that was that was actually one of the um, concepts that I really picked up on and found very interesting. Um, along with that, you know, talking about how the matriarchal matriarchal societies were really focused on the cohesion and custom and you know, just focus more on a community, whereas they, you know, she discussed that patriarchal societies kind of went towards that rules, rules and guidelines and started differentiating between the type of whores and yeah. prostitutes. Right. Well, I mean, you know, if you, I mean, there are two simple words that I kind of think of when it comes to differences between patriarchal and matriarchal. And the patriarchal uh, culture tends to be competitive, and the matriarchal culture tends to be cooperative. Yeah, and, and that's kind. Of, I mean, those are two very generalized words and concepts, but I mean that kind of fits in in terms of why there's such a difference. Do we do we know historically kind of where that shift happened? I wasn't. I mean, that well, wasn't really discussed, and probably I'm asking a, a question that goes beyond our topic, but I was just curious. Yeah, it depended on where where you were at, but it always happened with invading armies that had religious basis to them. Um, Shaharazad mentions when the Semites uh, invaded Babylon, uh, Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. and the Semites is a different word for Jews, that was, and so basically that was the start of it, and because there was a lot of demonizing of uh, the Mesopotamian religions, and because you know we're the Jews, we're in charge. What we, what you're doing is bad or evil, and what we have is good, um, and that's where some of it started. Yeah, and then depending on the archaeologists that you listen to. Um, and because there's uh, an interesting debate out there, was there actually a matriarchal society, or was it the archaeologists back in the 1920s, 1930s, had this bias towards a matriarchal society, and they took the information that they could, what little information they could decipher from the pictograms and the hieroglyphs and whatever, and they chose to uh, bias it towards a matriarchal society, um, and, that, and then there's another group of archaeologists saying that these guys misinterpreted everything. Matriarchal societies never really existed. It's always been a patriarchal society. Huh. So Which is just, you know, well, anyways. It's an interesting debate. Well, that, that happens in academics all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, if you if you find find one point of view, there's the opposite point of view is there. Well, but that did occur to me because whenever um, they were talking about the ancient Mesopotamian Mesopotamian culture, you know, they're talking about priestesses, but then they're always talking about kings and they're being priests. And it's like they're not queens ruling, they're kings. So they were talking about the the spring ritual. Oh, Well, part of it, I mean, but they still had a matriarchal society, um, even though it was, even though it was ruled by a king and queen, and the queen ruled also, but the the priestess was the one that had the higher stature than the queen. 
So, um, but they were still considered a matriarchal society in how they were structured and how um, how they were structured and how they uh, how they were structured. Right. Well, and also one of the things that uh, Don uh, is brought up is that um, in terms of doing the annual ritual of Harris Gamos, um, where the king and the high priestess of a temple would come together, if the king couldn't get it up, he might not be king for too long. <laughs> it was all about the potency of the male coming together. I mean, because you got to remember, matriarchal societies in a lot of ways were all were about fertility, because it was the fertility of the land, it was the fertility of the people, and that's where the abundance came from uh, at that time. Yeah. But that's next, a good next, point. I was going to say that's a, 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 another related. I, I have too many points hit me, but <laughs> that one uh, about the issue sort of, of of fertility and sort of a, the the nature of of human sexuality and and how natural that was in that time period that it was actual human sexuality was was celebrated and then somehow it evolved in more modern times to be. Everything's in the closet with sexuality, so it's it's yeah, it's become bad and dirty, and I, I don't know where that yeah. happened either. So. Oh, damn yeah. those Christians! Well, those, those pesky Christians again? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and also Brian, I mean, one of the things is um, consider the technology at the time. Part of uh, the different rituals that they had were recognition that was part of their calendar in terms of how they kept track of the seasons. So they knew right. when to plant. They knew when to let things grow. They knew when to harvest. And so, I mean, that's where you have uh, the equinoxes and the solstices. And then you know things got divvied up a little bit more into months, um, and I don't think Wicca was around at that time. But there were rec- there was a recognition of uh, the eight di- or what we would consider today the eight different sabbats of uh, the sun and the moon, uh, and that marked different times of the year. Um, and and they had holidays around it. That's how this stuff grew. And, you know that was part of a celebration for them, but it was also a way of uh, marking time. Right, yeah, the, the the lunar phases were were very important. But I, I guess this this must have even come before Christianity because I think the oh the, yes, we're the, talking three thousand years before Christian Christianity. This was the Jewish faith was the first one that started limiting and talking about uh, that sex was was not not was something to be celebrated, but only within the confines of the marriage. Yeah, that that must have been where it started, is, is what I'm guessing. But I, I don't know what the time reference for that is. Was that a thousand BC or more? No, it was more like three thousand. Well, three thousand BC, two thousand BC, because it was it was for quite a while that that the that priestesses, sacred priestesses, were were part of the temples, and the entire time that you know Aphrodite was at her peak, or um, if you're not familiar with you know, Ishtar and Inanna, um, when they were at their peak is when they had their sacred priestesses in their temples. 
So it was more like 2000 BC when things started um, getting more towards the profane prostitutes. Yeah. Okay. At least in the Middle East, in the in the um, now, if you look to the Incas, their downfall was the conquistadors, and that was. Later, much later on. Much later on. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, it depended on where it was in in the cultures. Because I mean, cultures. yes, because as Shaharazad mentioned, in uh, I mean, she covered a lot of good points, and you know, each of the cultures or geographic cultures of the time had some kind of. Um, Divine feminine that was and sexuality was recognized as a very potent thing. Uh, you know, you had it here in America, you had it in India, um, you had it um, in the Middle East, and I'm sure that you have it in Africa, but we just haven't really gone into their history in terms of how it relates, other if, unless you want to touch on some of the Vudan. And where it's like, you know, this is the dance of life that we're doing in these bodies. We're here to enjoy, and we're here to party. Um, but beyond that, but that doesn't really tie into um, uh, sacred yeah. sexuality. Um, Catherine, are you on the call? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Okay. I'm listening very interestedly. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because I typed in on the chat and you didn't answer and I wasn't sure if you actually were on the call or if you it were having... It took me a while to get on. I had okay. some technical difficulties. I'm using my okay. phone. Oh, I did. Uh, I had all kinds of technical difficulties with my laptop. Anyhow. Yeah. So, um, Lisa, you were here a little bit ago when we first started the call. Do you have yep. any... Any ideas that you'd like to share? We've been kind of talking about a lot no, of this. Just listening. Um, just listening. Just listening. Okay. Did you have um, in your homework? Did you have con- any concepts that spoke to you? Um. More so the um <laughs> excuse me. Just just the concept of the uh, the the like in the in ancient Greece with the you know, waiting in the in the temple. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, that that one really speaks to me. Okay, Catherine, what about you? Um, well, everything around the the training, um, the explanation of the training, really appealed to me. Just the idea of engaging in inner work and um, always continuing your um, learning, deepening your presence, and um, 
learning to express your creative spirit and things like that. I, I mean, I found this historical stuff interesting, but I've never really been a history buff. So <laughs> I tend to forget historical stuff as soon as I read it. <laughs> I never had it much luck in history class. <laughs> but um, it is, I mean, it's interesting. Well, it's fine. It I was just don't know what that... to do with it, you know? <laughs> well, no, it's the concepts that, that, that speak to you. Uh, what, um, and, and your concept, the concept of the continuing education and and how they worked on developing their skill set is is what spoke to you. So that's good. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um one thing that no one brought up was the whole terminology of virginity. I was going we were both going there next. We <laughs> oh were you going there next? Okay. <laughs> okay, sorry. Please Hey, Brian, well, I mean, it's, it's, why don't you tell us about the virginity concept thing? Well, but, I mean, it seems like that's a word that seems fairly clear what it is, and then it didn't occur to me that that they would have 3,000 years ago or more a different definition for virginity. So, um, yeah, I guess the whole idea of it really not having anything to do with preserving one's sexuality but more of preserving one's creative power kind of yeah. jumped out at me as, as like, really? But, but yeah, that was, um, and again, that kind of ties back into that sort of matriarchal society thing and, and, um, and sort of being sort of, I don't know, you were, you were surrendering to the, to the energy of the, of the goddess more so than, than, sort of taking something away from the goddess, if you right. will. And so long as you were surrendering to that energy and going it in the name of the goddess, um, and you were not you were not surrendering to the man, it was seen as you maintained that virginity. Yeah. So, because Isn't it was that a wonderful it. concept. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I had to I had to think about it for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sense. and why did you have to think about it for fifteen minutes? Well, it's, well, just because it's so alien to the to the conceptually how we deal with that terminology in in current day environment. You're thinking physical virginity, where this this is really she, the goddess maintains or the priestess maintains her, um, you know, purity, and therefore she maintains her virginity. Yeah, I as long as she is true to the. I'm sorry, what? I saw that it I to me I interpreted that as more spiritual or energetic than physical. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's definitely a more spiritual virginity versus the what what we consider the physical virginity at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Which is still just as valid. Yeah. So, if as long as you're doing it with with the goddesses or the gods or a divine whatever your divine power is, 
long as you're doing it to a higher power, then you're still a virgin. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to me, uh, what's interesting about the whole concept of uh, coming from a place of purity or creativity and, and not um, attaching the physical label of, you know, okay, it's like uh, I've penetrated a woman, so I'm no longer a virgin, or the woman's lost her hymen because that's supposed to be official demarcation physically of having lost your virginity physically. Um, I like um, one of the Indian concepts of Shakti, which is uh, the divine feminine uh, in their culture. And the divine feminine is a creative process. And if you think about birth, um, it is very much of a creative process and it is very sexual and as were the result of a sexual act. And then the tying of uh, the concepts of masculine and feminine, the feminine is the creative process. It's the ideas. And then the masculine is uh, the force that's used in this plane of existence to create whatever that um, is to physically create and manifest uh, that energy. Right. And, and the act. And yang. Go on. That, that sexual act helps the man to, um, you know, get in touch with his feminine side, the divine feminine or the inner feminine um, and vice versa. That's Well, and you can also take, not, you can take it beyond, I mean, sex, um, sex is a powerful way of getting in touch with it, but it can just be the creative juices of life. Um, it can mm-hmm. be sitting in meditation and touching uh, the energy of life itself, and and knowing that's a part of a that we're a part of it, and it's everywhere around us as well. Um, and I mean, I kind of look at it today that you know the universe is is always masturbating. Um, <laughs> you know, <that's> my, <laughs> and so, you know that that process is going on all the time. <laughs> Was that Catherine that said what? No. <laughs> I heard what he said. <laughs> took took a minute to think in. <laughs> oh. I was laughing. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, but and Don brought up another good point. There was talking about the getting in touch with the aspect of the male, the masculine, and the feminine, um, because. That's very true with the sacred prostitutes. They didn't, and there's no, there's not, in, there's not even any references for trans or lesbian within this information that we that we're that we're looking at. But historically, in other records, it wasn't there wasn't the stigma of being well. They didn't have trans because they didn't really do surgery, but. Um, or they didn't have full surgical they, transgender. There were cross-dressers. But there were, were cross-dressers and people who presented as opposite as the opposite sex. Um, and and gay and lesbian was not something that was that was stigmatized. It was part of their culture. Yeah, cause, I mean, the Native Americans have, I think, six or eight different gender references Um they don't have just male and female. There's a recognition of bisexual. There's a recognition of lesbian and 
day, and then there's um, and there's hermaphrodites. Um, and hermaphrodites are very interesting, or intersex is another word. Uh, it's when you have uh, both male and female organs. They were considered, in, it, when you move more to the metaphysical or the esoteric, they were the medicine men, the shaman, uh, the mystics of their time. And because, uh, and they were considered to be balanced because they were both male and female. I can see that. Yeah. Just a different way of looking at it. There was there was a concept that that she mentioned sort of right after this this whole idea of of virginity sort of moving into the notion of sort of why were women called to being sem- uh, sacred temple prostitutes and the idea that that prostitutes were likely that word was likely used also in a different way during that time. Um, Pointing to the fact that the the Latin root meant to ex- expose or, or put up front, and I found it interesting that um, she mentioned that that the sacred prostitutes were really, in many respects, stand-ins for the goddesses, and were methods of trying to sort of connect the the physical world with the spiritual world. Which then, given my past history, I kind of made a mental note that that's kind of what the role of a of of a priest in Catholicism is sort of connect the, the, the physical world with the spiritual world. There's kind of a direct analogy there in a way. There is. There is. I hadn't thought, well, yes, I guess I had thought of I hadn't thought of it in, in just now when she was doing the history homework, when she was, or when she was doing the history class. Um, but it, that's totally true because they're, they're stand-ins for, for Jesus and Jesus and and God's and, word and, and Mary. And it, it is funny it. that Brian and I are picking up on the same thing. So that was I was waiting to say something. Oops, sorry. <laughs> uh, because I was I was wanting to talk about the parallel there between Jesus being the representative of God and Christianity, whereas the priestesses represented the erotic and nature of the divine, the goddesses. Um, yeah. And one of the things that, um, so I remember I, I read quite a bit of different ancient, you know, history books and um, the epics like the Gilgamesh, but I remember reading that, um, well, in the Bible, um, Rebecca, the wife of Jacob, was an actual priestess of Ishtar before she met Jacob. Um, and I just see how certain things have been woven into the Bible, it's like almost masterfully to try to close any loopholes that you might have about doubt. Um, because this has actually come up in the past probably week. I've I've been asking Brian questions saying, is this my programming that's coming back out from all these years of, you know, going to, to church or whatever? <laughs> um, is yeah. this programming that I'm that that I'm hearing in my head, or is this an actual, you know, inner voice? Well, I mean, the one thing, Don, you got to take into account here is also when Christianity was coming into its own. One of the, there were a lot of pagans, there were a lot of different pantheons of gods and whatever. And part of what they were doing was they were co-opting 
the holidays and the rituals slash traditions of some of the uh, other holiday of uh, the other traditions and incorporating them into Christianity, they were modifying them somewhat. I mean, one one of the things that got brought up was, you know, Jesus really wasn't born December 25th. He was actually born in April or March, depending on some people. Well, he was born in a lot of different times, depending on who you read. Uh, but, you know, they moved that holiday to December 25th because it worked with the pagans. And it right. worked with Yule. And it worked with, uh, and so that that was interesting. And, right. But, uh, well, go on. I was going to say, to back up, if you think about when he would have been born, that would have, well, not born, but, but con- conceived, that would have been in the spring. Um, so that would have coincided with the, the, the spring equinox. Right. So those those ceremonies, and you hear them talking about, you know, that's the fertility. It's the new birth, new year. Um, and so it would make sense that that would be when he was conceived. But I was aware that, you know, they do, they have co-opted all of these different pagan holidays and everything. And that's what I was kind of talking about, how they like closed loopholes to try to make it very difficult once you get in to get out. <laughs> well, I mean, but also... That's true. That's true. <laughs> well, well, this is a little off-tangent. But it's like if you go down to South America, where they uh, where there's a form of Christianity called Santeria, which is mm-hmm. kind of a combination of voodoo, hoodoo, and yeah. Christianity, and they look at the saints a little bit very more into the saints. But they, uh, you know, depending on how they're looking at it, most saints could be demons as well, and they're being called upon to do things mm-hmm. that may not be so nice. But the, that, the, uh, but that's a spinoff from Christianity down there. You know, no one argues with it because you don't want to do that down there. Uh, but yeah, it's take. Um, that was just a tangent to to see that you know it's got. Uh, it, it, Christianity hasn't stayed true. It's morphed depending on the culture that it's been in. Yes. But I think what you were saying, Don, was also very valid that. Um, now, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, the indoctrination is is very is very complete. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and and changing uh, or opening ourselves to other aspects can be um, enlightening and difficult at the same time. It requires a lot of self-reflection to go, is this something that I'm really thinking or really feeling, or is this programming? (laughs) Oh, my God, you're waking up. (laughs) Quick, lock her up and put her on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Did you have another? I'll I'll ask you before I ask Brian, since (laughs) you bring up this. Did you have another thought that you wanted to share? Uh, the 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 last one was was really whenever um, uh, Sherazad was talking about you know the the two things um, the the two central um, actions that a Kadisti does is healing and transcendence and how yes. she was relating it and you you already touched on this Julian but how. 
she related that to in present day, that would be your therapist who focuses focuses on sexual techniques to help heal relationships and people. Yes. Yes. Yeah, the the thing, though, with the therapists, uh, because of the way the laws are written, and I understand why there's a need for some of the laws and everything, uh, but it's like those therapists can talk to you. They can tell you about the technique. They can give you books and uh, movies and whatever, but they can't touch you. Right. Yeah. Not unless you're in Florida and California and Oregon, I believe, are the three states where they have sexual surrogacy um, is is within the law, as long well, as you're working with the therapist. Right. Or you're going yeah, for free. Yeah, yeah. So, no, that's that's a good point. That's all I had. Uh, okay. <laughs> Brian Thank you. <laughs> okay. Brian, did you have anything else that really stuck out at you? Um. Yeah, I, I guess sort of, again, sort of another overarching principle was the notion of sort of the, the use of, of healing touch as, a, as providing a sense of energy like we've, we've talked about and sort of the connection with sexuality being used not really necessarily to bring people uh, simple gratification, but bring, bring them to sort of a higher a higher level of sacred space to a different to a different place than, than just mere gratification and that was sort of the role of the uh of the, the sacred prostitutes to do that essentially. And so I, I kinda got that as a, a, a That is an overarching part. theme. That very yeah. very definitely is. I mean, because that's that's what their that's what their job was. Uh it wasn't wasn't just to get your rocks off. Um you could go to the profane prostitute if that's what you were if that's what you were interested in, right? Uh, but the sacred prostitute was to elevate your awareness or being to the uh, into the divine. It gets back to this idea of sort of different sort of denominations of prostitutes, if you will, or different categories of prostitutes in terms of what they would be providing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's nice to have that. I mean, yeah. that'd be that'd be great if we had that and it was advertised these days, you know. Oh, God, there'd be a major revolution in this country. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or the West. <laughs> yeah. But just decriminalizing prostitution is something that a lot of Kadishu, um in today's world talk about frequently uh, because of the idea that, that what they do should be allowed for uh, religious reasons but also because there shouldn't be it shouldn't be criminalized there shouldn't be prosecutorial actions Because of it, I mean, and Lynn, you know, part of what you're saying there, there's all kinds of examples in terms of, you know, how we react to um, human sexuality 
here in the United States versus in Europe. In Europe, you can have um, a commercial about uh, where someone's taking a shower, and you and you can have fruit, uh, full frontal nudity, whether it's a male or female, that's part of the commercial. No big. You come here to the U.S., oh, my God, that is so bad. You don't do Better that. Better not show a boob. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, unless you got Netflix or, or uh, <laughs> movies on demand or something. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I mean, it's just in those reactions. It's there's such a fear of human sexuality, of this force of creation that is so much a part of you know our lives in terms of the energy. That uh, that brings us into being and is there with us and allows us to do all the things that we do in the world and allows us to create other things and birth other things and and we and you know and we're on some level we're afraid of it we don't want uh, or not we the powers that be or the uh, for some reason have been afraid of it and then they projected that fear onto us and made their rules about saying that's all bad. I, I yeah. still just don't understand why. <laughs> but okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Power. Power. If 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 I can get you to believe what I tell you to believe, then I have power over you. Yeah, one of the arguments that I've heard is if you can control people's sexuality, you can control them. I totally believe in you. You what? I... I... I I don't disagree with that at all. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's part of the lifestyle that we live. Look at the us. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, if you look at Christianity, um, there's a, um, a form of Christianity called Gnosticism, and where mm-hmm. they actually recognize sexuality as, um, it's kind of a Christian version of Tantra. They call it Karetsa. Um, and uh, marriage is celebrated, sexuality is celebrated between a man and a woman as if they're, and they need to be married, but it's celebrated. Um, you know, if you do it outside of your marriage, it's bad, but there is a part of Christianity that recognized it. That was pushed off to the side. Not too many people know about it. Um, and what you know, people that do discover it. Um, I don't know if there's an agnostic church anywhere, but you they usually discover it through books, and uh, and uh, and that's how they learn about it. You know, mainstream Catholicism or Christianity is not going to tell you that this branch of uh, Christianity exists out there. Okay, comments on that. Well, this is Catherine. I I definitely believe that there is a, a facet of society that can be controlled by their sexuality. Otherwise, we wouldn't be so completely saturated in sex day in and day out on our television, everywhere we look. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's constantly being used in so many different ways to get us to do things that one group or another wants us 
to do. Now, if you become a little more enlightened or awakened, as you said, then you're not as easily led around by your libido. But there is a very large faction of this of society that is still and mm-hmm. probably will be for a while. <laughs> Don't yeah. say that out loud in too many places. <laughs> I mean, think about think about what a powerful thing our sexuality is. That it <laughs> what we can control others with it. That that that's even possible. Think about how powerful that is. It is very powerful. Yeah, form a sin around it and tell people you're they're going to go to hell and burn forever and ever, you know, if they touch their genitalia and self-pleasure. Don't touch your wee-wee. Don't touch your wee-wee. That's It'll right. But as much as it can be used for, for that, you know, for unhealthy or, you know, not not the best practices like you just – like you just, um, I'm sorry, I can't even find the word. That's a very good example of how it's used for not a healthy reason. Look at, mm-hmm. um, look at how it when it was celebrated, when it was used to, you know, bring bring you to a higher um, consciousness. It, it can also be used in a healthy way too. It's it's a very oh, powerful thing. Absolutely. absolutely. It's how you choose to use it that get the desired result. Yeah. And um, when we talk about controlling someone's sexuality, if any, if anyone to the extreme opposite of where we are in 2015, okay, back in Sumer, um, and it's spelled S U M E R. There was, you could go to a priestess and hook up with the divine. Fast forward to today, and we have stand ins for Jesus and for God, and not just in the Catholic Church, but in a lot of the Christian churches um, or in the Jewish faith. Um, and you are to only deal with them in order to get to God. You can't go to the temple down the street and and hook in with God yourself. You need to. Um, you need an intermediary. You to need an intermediary. But back back in Sumer and in Indian and Mesopotamia. Uh, you could find that intermediary at the local temple. You didn't have to, and and you could be become divine. That was the other part of it. You didn't have to have them. They would help you journey there, but then you could deal directly with the divine. Whereas mm-hmm. today, you're not allowed to actually deal with the divine. You have to go through the intermediary. I think I said that oh. correctly. Oh, Hold on, are you saying, yeah. Lynn, if that... that's your belief, because you don't have to go through the intermediary. Well, part of, part of that is waking up. You want to be part of, of that like, religion, you do. Yeah, part of that is, you know, going, I want to walk a different spiritual path. 
I mean, I'll tell people that, you know, I think religion has its place, but to me, religion is spirituality 101. You know, when you're finally ready to decide to take 102, that's when you're going, is there more than this? And you start mm-hmm. looking. Um, okay, wait, let's back up just a little bit. Lisa, you said something, and I and you got, what what, what was it that you were saying? I did, I said you need an intermediary if you believe that you need an intermediary. No, but you're being told as well. I mean, the the, the re- inferences through a lot of uh, the Christian religion now is there's a priest there, or and priests and nuns that are interpreting the Bible for you or telling you that you know you can look here to the Bible that there's a structure of how we do things. Um, you know, yes, there are people that don't agree with that. Okay. What what religion are you referencing? Um, there are some Protestant religions, Methodists. Okay. You don't, in, you don't need an intermediary to talk to God. But they frown um, upon you if you don't go to church. <laughs> well, they do not, but... Or tithe. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you they have to support them. If you don't tithe, they won't be able to pay their bills. <laughs> well, I want to have give Lisa space um, to, to speak her mind, too. Um, and I was not as familiar with uh, Lutherans or Methodists who were able to communicate directly with God. So that's a good clarification. I appreciate that. Um, Go ahead. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. Organized religion has its... it is about the personalities. It's not so much about the spirituality a lot of times. It's about do it this way. That's why they have doctrines. That's why they have, you know, um, rituals. That's why they have the things that they have. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, that's I mean, Lisa, you know, how, you know, people question, and but then, you know, mm-hmm. it's like how many of us are given the the dogmatic answer, and you know, we we get it often enough, uh, we learn to shut up, or we're be, because we're too curious and we ask the wrong questions, we get punished. Uh, I've got friends that. Ha- uh, that grew up in uh, that were going to Catholic school and whatever, and beca- and they were asking the wrong questions, and so they uh, ended up uh, at the principal's office or or what, and mm-hmm. you know they had they got punished, and you know it's like if the nail sticks out too far, it gets beat down, and uh, I mean that that happens in China where where the term came from, but it happens here in America if you're a little bit too outside the box. But there are also people that you can go and be outside the box. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
not disagreeing with organized religion. I just don't. I don't think that they're all as extreme. And maybe that's what it is. I think it was just something like every organized religion tells you you that those, you know, you have to go through that. Okay. Okay. Um, Dawn, did you want to say something again? Um, no, I'm good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Catherine, was it you that spoke up? No, I'm good too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Brian, I think I could tell your voice apart. Yeah, <laughs> Beth, Beth never asked me if I have more to say. <laughs> no, a little bit too much fine. laughter. Oh, sorry. We weren't supposed to laugh at your joke? <laughs> okay. Dawn and Catherine are more on the inside with that. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, oh, no, I forgot where we were going. Does anyone else have any other <laughs> concepts that, that that really spoke to them that they wanted to share? questions that you want to ask? All good. Yeah, okay. Good. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, the rest of the homework that hasn't been turned in yet. If you would turn it in and send it to me in an email or send it to the POTQ website, that be or not the website, the POTQ at Gmail. Um, after we're done with this part, do you want to give everyone a little bit of a history of how POTQ came together? I think we did an intro, didn't we? What? Didn't we talk about how POTQ came together in the intro? Yes, we did. Okay. In, in the first in class. Dan and Dawn and how it all got started with Dan and Dawn. And... Oh, yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. Okay. okay, okay, okay. That's that's right. That's, that's where the, the term came from, the right. coinage, the acronym. And okay. I'm not sure if we mentioned one thing, though, but uh, the word Kadishju, yes, it does come from Mesopotamia. Um, and one of the reasons that uh, Dan and Dawn ended up choosing to use it is because in today's context, there aren't too many people that really know what it means. And so you get to define what it means for you later on in your journey um, when you decide how you want to use, how and when you want to use the material that uh, you're going to gain from the class. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. (laughs) Sorry. I wasn't talking to you guys. I was talking to the cleaners. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Lisa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You were calling me. I'm leaving. (laughs) No. Okay. Well, we can all say goodbye. There you go. Um, Okay. So I'll look forward to the rest of the homework getting turned in. Um, it's always interesting what what people take away from from this this homework. Right. Uh, the next call 
and we'll send out the homework in a couple of days when we get all the rest of the homework turned in um, on the history homework. The next call is Tantra, and it will be, let me get there, Wednesday, July 15th at 7 p.m. We'll have, and we have a guest teacher for that class, one of the former students, former students who graduated and she is she's gotten level one level two and she goes to seminars all the time um on kadishu practices and sacred whore stuff uh she'll be an excellent person to listen and she's to. trying to set up her own practice and she is trying to set up her own practice um but the homework the tantra homework will be will be sent out to you in a couple days, like I said, after we get the rest of the history homework turned in. Um, we'll get the, the Tantra homework sent out to you. But the call itself is the 15th at 7 p.m. At 7 p.m.? At, at 7 p.m. Okay. Okay. Well, and I, uh, I also want to mention, um, I'm not sure if this has come up or not, um, if you want to receive... A certificate at the end of this class. All the homework assignments need to be completed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, any questions? No. Okay. Okay. Great. I have a great Fourth of July weekend. Um, and the following weekend, uh, we have Glee here if you want to join us, but if not, we will talk to everyone on Wednesday the 15th. I'm going to go ahead and end the call, um, if there's nothing else that anyone has. Thank you. Well, thank okay. you. Thanks. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.